And Father, we thank you for the gift of our salvation, that through your son, Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed, we've been restored, we've been given a new heart, we've been given a new life, we've been indwelt by your spirit, we've been given all things that we need for life and godliness, oh God, we praise you. And Father, now I just pray by the power of your spirit, you would use your word to work into our hearts. Lord, I pray we would walk out of here changed. Lord, I pray you would work in and through us right now. Maybe there are those that have wandered from you. And Lord, I pray that today you would draw them back to yourself. And maybe there's some that have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we're asking you to move. We know you can, we know you will. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated, welcome. It's good to see you this morning. And I'm gonna ask you if you would, take your Bibles and find your way to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, um, it's actually Paul's third letter, actually fourth letter to the Corinthian church. And, uh, but it's, we only have two of those, so it's 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you, and you can find 2 Corinthians on page 907. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but I do not want you to raise your hand. So what, you're, what are you not supposed to do? Raise your hand. Good. Don't raise your hand. How many of you feel like you are qualified for ministry? Think about that. Are you qualified for ministry? When I got saved in 1998... That was the last thing I dreamed I'd be in the ministry. I mean, my life had radically changed, but I never dreamed, one, I'd be a Christian. Secondly, I'd be a pastor. And third, in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, that was like not on the radar screen at all, but we know God can do a lot of things. All I knew is that my heart and my affections had changed. After receiving Christ, Mike Fetchner, the guy that led us to Christ, said, on this walk with Christ, and I've shared this many times, he says, you're going to have periods of doubt. And the way you push that doubt away, he says four things. He said, read the word of God daily so you know the God of the word. Second thing he says is pray. That's how you communicate with God. Pray without ceasing. Go into the closet and pray. Communicate with God. Have a conversation with him. Third, he says, get involved in, for us then, it was Bible fellowship class. For us, it's small groups. Get involved in groups. Get involved in community. And fourth thing, he says, get involved in church. And, and like, we were dumb enough to think that that's what all Christians did. So we did it. But all Christians really should do it, right? But, but as we got plugged in, we changed, we grew. Pam started pouring into women. I started pouring into men. We would take what we learned and, and, and we would pour into other people. We started a, a Sunday school class. We never dreamed of it. We, 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 we had a marriage ministry. And then we started feeling this call to full-time ministry. And this is after three years. In January of 2001... Pam walked into my office and she said, I'm going to leave the company and I'm going to go into, I'm going to go volunteer at the church and just be in ministry. And I said, you can't do that. You're my partner. She says, well, I just did. She turned around, and walked out. And, uh, 
it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was, it was, it was like, what? And, and I was just resisting the call to full-time uh, vocational ministry. And then I, that summer, I heard a message our pastor preached on Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8, where Isaiah got a glimpse of the glory of God, and he was wrecked. He, he, he saw his sinfulness in light of God's holiness, and he said, I am a man, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people who are unclean. And when he heard God saying, who shall we send? Who shall go for us? He could only say one thing. Here am I, Lord, send me. And that became the cry of my heart. And I remember I just didn't know what to do with that. I finally went to Mike Fetchner, who was, our, who was the guy that led us to Christ. And I said, Mike, he was one of the pastors there. And I said, Mike, I, just, I, I, I feel like this, this, this call to, to full-time ministry. And he said, well, you've got two choices. You can either be obedient to God or you can be disobedient. It's up to you. Not a great choice at that point for me. I remember walking into the worship center of our church, sat 7,000 people. It was a big church. I was all alone and I just wept because I knew my life was getting ready to change again. What had happened is our desire for business was fading and our desire to serve the Lord continued to grow. I remember saying to Mike, I said, Mike, I feel so inadequate for the task. And he said, that's really good. Because if you felt like you were adequate, adequate for it, you'd be depending upon Bill and you wouldn't be depending upon the spirit and it'd be a complete failure. One of the things I've learned over my 23 years in full-time ministry is that we're all called to ministry. Not just those of us that are in vocational ministry, but if you are a Christ follower, you are called to ministry. What is ministry? It's serving. We're called to serve. We're called to be the aroma of Christ to those that are perishing. We're called to, to do the work of an evangelist. We're called to, to practice the one another commands, to, to forgive one another, to serve one another, to care for one another, to carry one another's burdens. We're in ministry. Dave Harvey, who's president of the Great, uh, Great Commission Collective, which we're a part of, he's written a lot of books, when sinners say I do, I still do. In fact, he's going to be doing a marriage and family conference for us the first weekend of April, which will be outstanding. He wrote a book called Am I Called? And in his section on diagnosing the call, he gives you six questions on if you're called to ministry. But the more you look at this, the more you realize this isn't just for, in the book is written for people that are called to full-time ministry, but it's not just for people that are called to ministry. It, there is a sense there that it's for all of us. Are you godly? Yes, that's important for ministers, but it's important for all of us. Because if I say that I'm a Christian, I'm identifying with the nature and character of Christ. The moment I say I am a Christian... It's not just a name tag I put on. It's a whole new life. I'm representing my king. It should change me from the inside out. Am I godly? Second, how's your home? Does that, should that only 
apply to full-time vocational pastors? No. It, as a Christ follower, I should love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As, as a Christ follower, I should respect my husband. As a Christ follower, I should obey my parents. As a Christ follower, I should train up my children in, in, in the admonition of the Lord. I should instruct my children in, 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 the God, in God's word. I should, I should be a, 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 a good Christian at work. Third, can you preach? I know Bonnie wanted to preach when I gave her the microphone. <laughs> yes, I, I, if I'm going to get up here, I better be able to preach. But should you be able to preach? Well, yeah. You should be able to share what the Lord has done in your life. Acts 1.8, you receive the Jesus said when he, before he ascended into heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outer ends of the earth. We've been given a commission to, to, to go and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded. That's not just for me. That's for all of us. So your, your life should preach a message, but so should your mouth. Can you shepherd? Yes, as pastors, we're, we're shepherds. We're to shepherd the flock of God that's among us. But if you're a parent, you're shepherding your children. You're shepherding your families. God may have put you in a sphere of influence where you shepherd. You may be working in children's ministry, student ministry, young adult ministry, small group ministry. There's shepherding that needs to be done. Do you have, do you love the lost? Why is that important? Because when you understand that someone who is not in Christ will spend eternity in hell, you should have this love for those that don't know who Christ is because it's only through Christ that we can enter into heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, eternal perishment in hell, but have eternal life. R Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The more we understand that, the more we recognize it, the more, and the more we understand what our salvation has done for us, the more we should love the lost. And then finally, who agrees? Like as people look at your life, do they see change? Do they see that you're different. You know, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when the religious leaders were looking at the new disciples, they, they saw that they were uneducated men, but they recognized they'd been with Jesus. There was something different about them. Do people look at you and say, there's something different about you? Now, we can sometimes say, like, when you see somebody come to Christ, like for us, when Pam and I came to Christ in, 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 in 1998, I mean, it's like, there was this dramatic change. We had an incredible testimony. But now, 26 years later, we should be able to give a testimony about what's happened to our lives in the last year. See, our, our testimony doesn't stop at the moment we receive Christ. Like, what has happened in the last year should be a lot different than what has happened over the last 25 years prior to that. 
Who agrees? Who sees the change? Is it, is it impacting your marriage? Is it impacting your kids? Is it impacting how you act at, at work? When we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's been dealing with those that have been questioning his apostleship, his, his ministry. So what he does here is he provides some credentials for ministry. And I wrote down this big idea that I think helps kind of encapsulate it. It's this. Our credentials for ministry come from God and are manifested through our walking in the Spirit. So when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if we're walking in the Spirit, we're not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and we change. People see it. And our credentials come from God. Now, let me read this passage, and then we'll talk about it. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, we do, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are, are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I'll give you some credentials of effective ministry. Credentials of effective ministry, first of all. Your ministry produces changed lives. Your ministry produces changed lives. Your life and your ministry produce fruit. If you're connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, there should be fruit. And so what we see here in verse 1, Paul is defending himself from those that might be thinking that he's got to prove himself. And he asks two questions that really the answer to both should be a negative response. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? And this is really tying back to verse 14 and following of chapter two. Let me just read that. See, like Paul says, well, they probably are starting to think that I'm, I'm bragging. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are, are perishing. To one fragrance... To one, a fragrance of, from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. We talked about all that last week. Who is sufficient for these things? We're going to answer that in a minute. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? I, like, do you think I'm just patting myself on the back? Or we do, need, do we need, as some do, letters of rec recommendation to you or from you? It's as if they're demanding credentials from Paul. It's like, Paul, where'd you go to seminary? What, 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 what articles have you had published? How many degrees do you have? Paul, are you just boasting again? 
But we know what Paul thought about boasting about his credentials. In fact, we know that Paul was a Pharisee. Before he became Paul the Apostle, he was, he was Saul, you know, the, the, the Pharisee. And he was one of the leaders of the Pharisees. He was a, he was a learned man. He, he, had, he had learned under the feet of Gamaliel. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he starts in, chapter, in, in verse 40, he starts talking about like this list of things he could boast in, but then he tells you what he thinks of all of those things. He says this, but whatever gain I had, thinking about my old resume, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like all of that loss compared to knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. Just, in fact, there's another word for that. I count it as dung. Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And Paul is all of a sudden looking back to the fact that he, he tried to keep the law. He couldn't become righteous which meant he was separated from a holy God. There was nothing that he had done. He says, he says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He understood all of a sudden when he, when he got saved on the road to Damascus, that his, his ability to keep the law kept him from ever getting into heaven because he couldn't keep it. But it was through faith in Jesus Christ that now he's received the righteousness of Christ. That saves him. So Paul saying, you could throw out my degrees, my successes. It's all trash. He says, do I have to commend myself again? Do I have to reintroduce myself again? Paul had spent 18 months with these people. He poured into them. He says, the second question he asks is, do I need letters of recommendation for you? Now, in the first century, when you would send somebody out, you would write a letter of recommendation. Like when Saul was going to, to, um, uh, to Damascus, he got, a, he got a letter from the leaders to, to arrest the people that were, were, were Christians. We see that when Paul became a, a Christian himself in, in Romans chapter 16, he wrote a, rec uh, he wrote a recommendation for Phoebe. Look what uh, Romans 16 says. He says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chantereh that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Like, take care of this woman. Listen to her. She's been a great servant. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul gives a letter of recommendation to Titus. Really, Philemon is really a letter of recommendation. So he says, do we need a some do? Some people need letters of recommendation. Letters of recommendations to you or from you? It's like, really? Paul's saying, verse two, you yourselves are our letters of recommendations. You guys are our letters of recommendation. Like I spent all this time with you. There's been all this change. In fact, you read Acts chapter 18 and you see the change. You, I mean, you see all the, all the work that he did in that city. In fact, he talks about the change that took place in their life in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me put it up on the screen. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the unrighteous? Those that have been separated from God. We're all born with a sin nature. And as a result of our sin nature, we have no internal righteousness. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Like that described you. Like this describes me 25 years ago, 26 years ago. But then something happened. Christ changed me. He came into my life. I turned from my sin. I turned from myself and I received him as Lord and Savior. I can, I can, I, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is, is, is Lord. I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He says, this is who you are. You're my letters of recommendation. I don't need these, these letters of recommendation. You are my letters of recommendation. And so Paul, as he says this, maybe there were some questions that came to mind that he figures he better answer. Five questions. Here's the first question. Well, where is this letter written? They might've asked. Look at verse two. You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts. See, the changed lives in Corinth were not just notches in Paul's belt. They were his letters written on his heart. They were people that he loved, that he served, that he prayed for. He had poured his life into them. He had a burden for them. He cared for them. He, he was concerned with their hopes, their dreams, their, their marriages, their families. He was not like so many peddlers of God's word that you see in, in chapter 2, verse 17. He, he was somebody that cared, that, that, that poured into them. See, his ministry was a Matthew 22, 37 through 39 ministry. See, when Jesus was asked, what is the great, greatest commandment in the law? What did Jesus say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul was living out a Matthew 22 ministry. To love God and to love others. And the reason Paul had such a deep love for people around him is because of his vertical love for God. For, see, we love because God first loved us. One of the manifestations of our love for God is our love for other people. That's, that's why it's often said that if you don't have a right relationship with the Lord, you're going you're to really struggle in the relationships without, around you. You can't have a great relationship with the Lord and be in turmoil with your spouse. It just, just doesn't work that way. That's why I've, like I was a men's pastor for many years and we had a lot of guys that would come and they would like any, anything we, like every time we'd open the doors of the church, they were there because it was a way to escape their spouse. And like, I love Jesus. 
if you really love Jesus, you go home and get right with your wife. That's, that's so important. So, so Paul poured into these people. He loved them. Man, here's the second question that might have been asked. Like, okay, were your letters of recommendation? Who reads them? Notice what he says in verse 2. You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Anyone who has seen you sees that your lives are changed. Let me ask you, when people see you, do they see something different? Do, do they see that your life has been changed? That who you were is not who you, who you are is not who you used to be? Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're what? A new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. It, it's, again, I, I, I talk about our testimonies. Are you growing in the Lord? Does your spouse see it? Do you have a deeper, a greater hunger to be with Jesus, to spend time in his word, to pray, to serve, to give? Do you have a deeper love for other people? We used to say all the time, if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Or for you English teachers, if you are who you were, then you ain't. Like, like there would be change and people see it. I'll, I'll never forget when Pam and I got saved. Like we used to own restaurants and we were known for our bars and margaritas and so forth. And, and so we had some friends after we got saved, they came to us one day and they said, you guys aren't just, you aren't fun anymore. You're just not fun anymore. Didn't really know how to take that. Now I look back on it and I think, like, we were fun? It just means we didn't go out and get drunk with them anymore. God gave us new affections. He gave us a new heart. There's a change. You know, before and after pictures, like some of those you just don't want to look at. But like, there should be a before and after picture of you that's appropriate in Christ. All right, here's the third question. Well, well, Paul, who wrote this letter? Who wrote this letter? I love verse three. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. That's an awesome verse. Who wrote this letter? Christ. He wrote it. We're just the mailman. God wrote this letter. We're just delivering it. Christ is the one who has changed you. If it wasn't for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, there would be no change. There would be no transformation. See, Paul was, be, was faithful to be used by God. He's kind of like an obstetrician. God's the one that creates the baby, and the obstetrician does the delivery. Like, like I'm kind of like an OB. That, that, that's it. But that's all of us. We, we have a message. Christ has written this letter. In fact, Romans 10, 14, 15 reminds us of the importance of us being able to teach. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me ask you, do you have beautiful feet? Okay, I don't want to see them. In fact, I would only ask that question in the winter because nobody other than my wife is wearing flip-flops. She wears flip-flops 365. I mean, it's like, she really does. Uh, that's, that's why it's good that we live in, I mean, if, if, if we lived in like upstate New York, she, she wouldn't know what to do. I'm going to wear my furry flip-flops, I guess. I don't know. All right, here's the, third, here's the fourth question. Paul, what is this letter written with? If we're, the, if we're, if we're the, your letters of recommendation, what are they written with? Look again at verse three. And, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered to us by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. What happens to ink over time? It fades. When it's exposed to elements, it can be tainted by human influence, by cultural pressures, by the wisdom of man. But we as letters of Jesus Christ are written by the living spirit, the spirit of the living God. In fact, when a person is born again, when they, when they, when they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus as their only hope for eternal life, when they repent of their sins, God doesn't just write them a new chapter. He writes them a whole new book. We have a whole new book. And what he writes is permanent. See, it's written with the spirit of the living God. We serve a God who's alive, not dead. When we receive Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. We have just received all the Holy Spirit we will ever receive. We don't get a partial Holy Spirit. We don't get a fraction of the Holy Spirit. We get all of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Here's the problem we have. So often we don't live as if we have the Holy Spirit in us. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of this flesh. You've got the Spirit. Sound like a cheerleader. You got the Spirit. Rah, rah, rah. You, you have the Spirit. Stir it up. That's why Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not be drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be stirred up with the Spirit. Like, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's why First, uh, Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us all things for life and godliness. You've received all you need for life and godliness. We just have to live it out. That's why we don't pray for the Holy Spirit to fall on us. We just pray for, to sense His presence, to walk in His Spirit, to live by His Spirit. When you're walking in the spirit, when you're connected to the vine of Christ, you produce spiritual fruit. 
John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. He says, he that abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't do anything of spiritual significance. What's he saying there? He's saying, I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. He says, you're the branches. Unless a branch is vitally connected to the vine, it can't produce fruit. Like if we have a big wind in Phoenix and a branch falls off your tree and is lying over there, how much more fruit can that branch produce? Zero. But if that branch is vitally connected to the vine of Jesus, then the life and the sap of that vine starts to work through the branches and the branches don't have to try to produce fruit. They automatically produce fruit. That's what happens to us. So if you're struggling with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, gratefulness, self-control. You're not connected to the vine. Just be connected to the vine. Start abiding in the, in the vine. Abide in Jesus. Be connected to him. Let me ask you. Do people see evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you? Here's the final question. What is this letter written on? Parchment paper? What is it? No. Look at, again, verse 3. He says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone like in the Old Covenant, but on tablets of human hearts. And Paul's getting ready to tell us a, 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 the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We'll be talking about that next week. And that's a pretty exciting thing to even comprehend. In the Old Testament, there were prophecies of the new covenant. When God would give us a new heart and he would write his law on our hearts. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 33. Jeremiah just said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to bring a new covenant. This is looking forward to the time of Christ. Jeremiah, 650 years prior, is, is prophesying, for this is the, the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We, we, see, we see the same thing in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Let me put that up. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36 tells us this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. We can't cleanse ourselves from our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He says, I will sprinkle and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
We live on this side of the cross. We now are beneficiaries of that. So when you receive Christ, once again, God has now taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And he has put his Holy Spirit in you to live through you. That's amazing. So Paul asks, do I need letters of recommendations like other people do? No, you're my letters of recommendation. That's the first credential. We got two more, but they're not nearly as long. That's good. Here's, here's the second credential. First, your ministry will produce changed lives. Secondly, your ministry is not based on self-confidence, but on God-confidence. Your ministry is not based on self-confidence. We live in a world that is saying, you just got to grow in your self-esteem. You got to grow in your self-confidence. No. Grow in your confidence of who God is and what he's done in you and through you. I don't want to have to depend upon me and my self-esteem. I want to have no esteem. I want my esteem to be in Christ and what he's done in me and through me. So Paul makes it clear here that he's not bragging or patting himself on the back. He has confidence, but it's not self-confidence. It's God-confidence. It's the risen Christ working in him and through him. Look at verse four. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Where's Paul's confidence? Like the great apostle Paul. Brilliant. The, the, the guy was like one of those, those boxing dummies that are weighted at the bottom. You punch it in the nose and it comes back up smiling. I mean, that's Paul. Was his confidence in himself? No. It was, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. He knew he wasn't adequate for the task. But his adequacy, your adequacy, is in the power of Christ working in you and through you. Paul asks in chapter 2, verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? And he answers now in, chapter, in verses 4 through 6. He says, verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from what? Who? God. Who has made us. See, God is the actor here. He's the one that has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul understands that the effectiveness that took place in Corinth had nothing to do with his talents or gifts. Now, now let me ask you, does God use our talents and gifts? Yes. He wouldn't give, he wouldn't give us spiritual gifts. He wouldn't use our, give us talents if he did. But it's through God's strength in him. The series of this whole Second Corinthians study is called God's strength in our weakness. God's strength in our weakness. Chapter 12, verse 10, when we are weak, then we are made what? Strong. It's a reminder that this whole book, Paul is reminding, like, I got nothing, 
but Christ, which means I've got everything. And so whatever tasks you do day in and day out, you have power to be effective. But it's not based on your self-confidence. It's, it's based on your confidence in God and what God can do in you and through you. See, without his power and enabling, all of our natural gifts and talents just produce spiritual chaff. Just nothing. Paul often wrote about his confidence. Like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives, who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, when he's talking about just his, his focus on discipling others, he, he says this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says this, for this I toil, struggling with all my energy. Is that what it says? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, the minute we start working in our own power and all st our own strength, God says, go for it. But when we are weak, I mean, this is like, this is so countercultural. Like, like, throw away your bootstraps. They're worthless in the kingdom of God. His confidence is in God and the, and the gospel. So his credentials, your ministry will produce changed lives. Secondly, it's not a self-confidence, but a God confidence. And third, your ministry is spirit empowered. Your ministry is spirit empowered. Now, Paul was called by God to be a minister of the new covenant. See, those living under the old covenant... They didn't have the power to live out the law. See, the Holy Spirit would come and go for particular people at certain times for particular tasks. But we in the new covenant are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 6, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What do you mean, Paul, that the letter kills? He's speaking of the Old Testament law. The Jews would run around trying to keep the law. What do I have to do? And then, you know, the Day of Atonement would come and they would fast and they would, they would do all these things. And it was just like exhausting. And then they would have all these sacrifices like they would try to keep it, but it, it still led to death because they couldn't keep it. They couldn't do enough sacrifices. That's where Jesus enters in. And he died a death on the cross once and for all. No more sacrifices needed. Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's a better temple. He's the fulfillment of the law. And for those in Christ, now he puts his spirit in us. So we have life, eternal life. The letter kills but the spirit gives life. And so our ministry is now spirit empowered. I will give them a, a new heart. I will put my spirit within them. And on this side of the cross, that's what we get. 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're empowered. Not only are we empowered, but we have a desire to live out the life that God calls us to and to bring glory to him. The purpose of the law was to show us we couldn't keep his standard. We needed something or someone outside of ourselves to keep the law for us. And that's what Jesus did. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of God. So if you're in Christ, and I pray that you are, you are a minister of the gospel. You are a minister. And when you're walking in the spirit, your ministry will produce changed lives. It'll start with yours. People will see it. And your ministry won't based, be based on your self-confidence. But it'll be based on your confidence in God. And because you're in Christ, you have all the power you need to be an effective minister. See, your credentials for ministry come from God and are manifested through walking in the Spirit. So I'll ask the question again. How many of you are qualified for ministry? You can raise your hand. Not the response I wanted. <laughs> Let me try that again. How many of you are qualified for ministry? Like we all are. If you're in Christ, you're qualified. Now it's just living it out. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as they do, maybe just in this moment, bow your heads. Let's, let's do that. And just, I want you to consider your life and how you've been living. And, and, and have you allowed God to use you? To make a difference for his kingdom. Maybe you've, you've allowed other things to get in your way. And, and listen, I had somebody tell us a long time ago, you know, all distractions are equal. And, and because they're distractions. And if they distract you from doing the most important thing, and that's serving the one who saved you, who, who came and gave his life for you, it's a distraction. Now, it doesn't mean you don't incorporate it into your family, incorporate it into your work, incorporate it into your, into your schoolwork. It just means that God is your priority. And maybe God has not been your priority and you've not been doing the work of the ministry God's called you to. Maybe just confess that and ask God to forgive you of that. Maybe you're somebody here today and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Just, God, I, I confess that I've never... I've never confessed you as Lord. And so right now I want to confess my sins before you. I believe that Jesus is, is God in the flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for my sins. He was raised on the third day. And, and if you confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. Father, I thank you for your word, the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we as a church would understand that we've not been saved just so we can have our eternal security secure, our eternal life secure, but that we would be representatives of you. That when we call ourselves Christian, we would look like you, we would act like you, we would speak like you, 
because you've written your word on our hearts. Father, I pray for those that might be receiving Christ today. I pray they would tell someone. Maybe tell me, tell one of the people coming up here to pray in a minute. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that illuminates your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.